stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Hey, happy Monday, everyone, and welcome back to It Never Rains. Tyson Alger here, joined by Aaron Fentress. We are several days removed from the Rose Bowl. I'm sick. Aaron just got off an airplane, so we are bringing the energy. Poor widow, sicky bear poo. (laughs) (laughs) You you just walked in walked in from uh, Philly, right? You you just got off the plane, dude. I caught a five thirty flight to Atlanta, which was two and a half hours, and Atlanta to Portland, which was five and a half. They do not build flight or build these planes for six foot two people. My knees are all jacked up. I think I have to go in for like a meniscus, you know, cleanup or something. I don't even know what that means, but I, that was a very uncomfortable trip for me. So I'm not in a good mood. So don't mess with me today, Tyson. <laughs> are, are, are you are you a, a, a being a tall person? Do you try to get an aisle seat or or do you have like preference on the plane? Um, aisle or window always. Um, I like window because I can lean against the the window a little bit. Maybe try and catch some some Z's, but it's just it's just uncomfortable. I I, I I'm thinking about start, starting to pay a little extra for the exit row if I can. I, I don't like window because I I, I was I'm gonna say I have broad shoulders, which is just a, a polite way of saying I'm I'm a big guy, and uh, the the win <laughs> the window can be a little cramped sometimes. So I, I, aisle seats my my priority there. That's um, your thing, you know. But uh, you know. I had a window seat on the way back from the Rose Bowl, though. It was a gorgeous view. It was it was just actually sunny flying in, which was kind of fitting because I, I think every the vast majority of the people were Oregon fans. And, uh, um, you know, I uh, I think it was a pretty good season overall. What, what do you think after, you know, the four and eight, then the Willie Taggart year, and then last year with Cristobal, they, they end up uh, getting to this Rose Bowl, and that was a fantastic game, which we, we recapped last week, but I think now that now that we actually have a little bit of time, um, do you, overall, like, how, I don't want to say, like, grade this season, but, like, what, what's your kind of biggest takeaway from this year? Well, uh, they won the conference in the Rose Bowl, which makes it a top 10 season of all time. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, I don't think we can name nine or 10 better. Uh, obviously, um, you know, coming into the season, I think you and I both felt like they obviously had a good team coming off a nine and four year last year. And I felt after Auburn that they definitely had the potential to win the conference. Um, they ended up doing it, although it was in the game we didn't think they were going to win against Utah. Uh, Rose Bowl, we both felt they had a chance to win, and they did, although it was kind of ugly. But uh, I, I, I mean, shoot, man, you go twelve and two, win the Rose Bowl. I don't care who you are. That, that's unless you're Alabama or Clemson, I guess. That's that's a great season. It's it, something that uh, I'm liking. I'm enjoying that. I'm seeing a lot of Duck fans excited about it on Twitter. Although there was a stretch a little bit after ASU when there were some fans, and, and I think it's like three percent of the knucklehead fans who are like, "Oh, who cares about the Rose Bowl? Those guys can just kick rocks." Uh, great season for the Ducks. You brought up two points there of, of one saying it's a top 10 season of in Oregon, which is a fact. I mean, the Ducks, this is the, I believe the third, is this the third Rose Bowl they've won? Uh, third they've won since. Like modern the, era. The first one they won like 1915 or something like right. that, right? Yeah. Because when they won, when they beat Wisconsin the first time, that was the first time in 85 years they'd won one, I think. So, so despite like everything that happened in the earlier part of like the 2010s decade where it just felt like that, you know, you could just dial up one of these seasons every single year. This is still something that's happened few and very far between in Oregon history uh, to have this level of success. And then the other thing I was just thinking about was I was, I I remember back at that Auburn game and and kind of, you know, after the dust had settled and I forget if it was on this podcast or you, you had written something, but I remember the takeaway was both like, 
all right, like this, this team looks like they can hang. This team looks like they can play on this level. Now it's just a matter of whether or not they can string that together for a period of three months where, uh, despite as good of a football team as, uh, you could be on paper, so much can happen over the course of the season, whether it's a bad game or injuries or whatnot. And and for Oregon to actually be able to, you know, I I think the Rose bowl is what we thought a lot of their potential was this year. Uh, but for them to actually reach that and, and, uh, win that I, I think is is impressive and uh, kind of answers one of the biggest questions about um, this team going into this year was like okay we know these guys can recruit but will you actually be able to see the results on field and um, you know I, I know some people have some qualms about how things were coached here and there or whatever I mean this this staff went out and won a Rose Bowl in their second season um, which is something that hasn't hardly happened in Oregon history so I, I think it was an incredibly successful year. Yeah, before the season, I wrote something along the lines, okay, now Chris Ball has to prove that he can, you know, win the games that matter most and, and close out a, a you know, a, champ, a potential championship season. I, I think he obviously did that. There were some reservations about that. And I, I never felt like it was a situation where I don't think he could do it, but, you know, you got to prove it, right? I mean, I said the same thing about Helfrich when he took over. You got to prove you can close the deal. He proved he could close the deal. Um, it's one thing Taggart's faced. Taggart's never proved he can close a deal because he never stays anywhere long enough to close the deal. So <laughs> everyone, everyone has to prove it at some point, and I think Mario clearly proved it. Uh, yeah, they hadn't won the they hadn't won the Rose Bowl. Let's see, they won won, won it in sorry nineteen seventeen January nineteen seventeen, and then they then the next one they won was two thousand twelve, two thousand eleven season. So they've won four ever, and that's. A big deal <laughs> for a Pac-12, Pac-10 team. The Rose Bowl is called the granddaddy of them all for a reason. They won the Rose Bowl, top 10 season ever, no doubt. Mario demonstrated that he could, uh, you know, orchestrate and organize and, and oversee the game planning of a conference um, champion and a Rose Bowl champion. Uh, the defense was phenomenal. All the crying about the offense, I swear to God, dude. I just, <laughs> I, would, I would love to actually get, 10 fans who hated Arroyo in the same room with Arroyo and break down film. And all 10 people would leave feeling like idiots. It's just crying to cry. Arroyo did a fine job with what they had to work with. You know, you can't throw the ball all over the place when you don't have explosive receivers. Hello? They did the best they could with what they had. I think he did a fine job. And we'll see who they get next. You know, everyone, everyone's acting like whoever they get now, they're going to score 60 points a game. It ain't going to happen. We'll see. Aaron, it's, it's it's pretty easy though. Like all you have to do is have Juwan Johnson just run deep routes every single time, and, and just Justin run it Herbert, go, yeah, goes and post, and just throw it. <laughs> it. You know, like everyone everyone used to play like 2002 Madden and just had Randy Moss run. You know, like hail marys. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's that's that's how it works. I mean, football is a pretty easy it's sport. So, right? easy. Uh, so I, easy. I I do think that's something that like, and and it might be just because of the fact that they played well throughout the year, but I I do think that the whole injured wide receiver core kind of got minimized towards the end of the season where it was uh, like, like this wasn't a faint, like a great receiving core. Like I, and that's not to say like players like Johnny Johnson uh, didn't have like a really, like Johnny Johnson played his butt off this year, but like they just didn't have guy. Like if, if Herbert didn't have like a single, like all pack 12 type of target throughout his whole career, other than Dylan Mitchell. And, I, I think that was kind of more of a pro and what he ended up being a seventh round draft pick who didn't exactly. didn't play That's in the NFL right. this year. Like we I, right. I I think Herbert's play um was pretty pretty darn good over this the course of the season considering that, especially losing like a guy like Jake Breland, who is probably the best NFL prospect out of the guys that he's thrown to. So um but 
actually, I don't know where I was going to go with that, but I was going to make a transition into, <laughs> uh, we, we should talk about the 2020 season here real quick. But before we get to that, uh, the second week of the playoffs is upon us. The bad news is there are only a few more weeks left in the NFL football season, but the good news is you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more to celebrate. You can play for a $1 million top prize this weekend. $1 million. I should get in on that. And if you want to, draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with DraftKings lineups on the line. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. This is your call to action. Download the DraftKings app now and use code RUN. That's R-U-N for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit up to $500 on your next deposit. Remember, that's code RUN, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restriction apply. See DraftKings.com for more details. Are, are, are you done yet? I I think I'm done yet. You know, I'm getting better at these ad reads. No, I'm not actually. You're under, you're under, you're under the weather, though. You're I'm under, under the weather, you're, though. You should be on a DL. <laughs> I, you should be on a DL. I, you're fighting through it like Jordan in the flu game. Exactly. This is exactly. your flu game, dude. Okay. Your flu game. Okay, right? so w- what I really wanted to ask you about is, you know, we just talked about this year and how this was a once in once in 100 years, I mean, a 10-time in 100 years type of season for the Ducks. Does this mean that this needs to be the floor for this team? Or like, like if, if you're an Oregon fan, how do you kind of counterbalance expectations moving forward, especially here in 2020 when here in just year two, you won a Rose Bowl in a conference championship? Like, are we going to get back to, do you remember like the period in like 2014, 2015, where if Oregon wasn't reaching a national championship, it was, ah, man, this team sucks. There's nothing good here. Like, how does this change things moving forward, Aaron? Man, that's the million dollar question. Uh, you know, I've already seen some people on Twitter, Duck fans, talking about how they're going to do it again next year, but this time they're going to go to the Natty and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, look, that you're losing four offensive linemen and a first-round pick at quarterback. The odds of you being just as good the next year are literally astronomical. <laughs> Like, it's just not something that happens very often. Not that it's never happened. I mean, clearly the Ducks transitioned from Darren Thomas to Mariota, and they lost a couple linemen as well. So is Tyler Shuck Mariota? I don't know. Is he Herbert? We don't know. So I think Duck fans should be realistic, and I think you hope Tyler Shuck is at least good, and the offensive line is at least good. The defense should be really good again. You have a chance to flirt with 10 wins. If you're flirting with 10 wins, you have a chance to win the conference. You have a chance to go back to the Rose Bowl. They are not – the Oregon Ducks are not winning the national title next year. Just mark it down right now. They're not even going to go to the playoffs. It ain't going to happen but they still can have a great season. That's where I see they are right now. It depends on the quarterback. They could be anywhere from six wins to 10 wins. I'm leaning more towards nine or 10 because I think Shuck's going to be fine, but I don't think we can know for sure if he's going to be great. I agree with the, I don't know if he's going to be great. My thing 
the reason why I'm optimistic for like a 10 win season is I think this defense is going to be good enough to carry them. Even if Shuck is like, I think Shuck is at least going to be average. Like, I don't think he's going to be bad. Like I've heard enough from, from guys around there. And, you know, we've, we've seen just small bits and pieces to know that he's, he's better than like a Jeff Lockie, which isn't, you know, saying a whole lot, but uh, the fact that I, I think they're going to be getting everyone important back on defense with Thomas Graham, D'Amadoro, Lenore, and Jordan Scott. Um, then you add, you know, a pair of these five-star linebackers. Obviously, you're losing out on Troy Dye. But if Justin Flo and, and Noah Sewell are as advertised, you know, these these are two guys who obviously don't have the same experience and leadership as Dye, but they're better athletes than him, frankly. And, you know, that's not to minimize the impact that Dye had over the last four years. He was great. Um, but Oregon's just bringing in you know, pretty incredibly talented dudes right now. And so I, I do think that the defense is going to be better next year. And, you know, this Her- Herbert was really good this year. And other than like this Wisconsin game where he, he rushed for three touchdowns, I do feel like this was a team that didn't necessarily need him to throw 400 yards and five touchdowns every game. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a super quarterback heavy reliant season. And that's not to minimize again, what, what Herbert did and, and, and what having like an experienced guy who doesn't, um, turn over the football doesn't at that position. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like this, this defense, if, if, if Oregon keeps playing in close games next season, I, I feel like the defense at least gives them a floor of like eight or nine wins and, and potentially with, with something higher than that. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I would be shocked if, if Tyler Shuck weren't at the very least good, like I don't right. think he's going to be great, but I, I, you know, based on what I saw, like his spring game last year, wasn't as good statistically as Lockie's the year before his 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 uh when Vernon when Vernon right. came, but he looked way better. <laughs> he looked like a potential <clears throat> Pac-12 legitimate quarterback, whereas Lockie I didn't feel did. Uh, so Charlie Chuck looks the part, and you're right; they didn't need Herbert really to. I mean, Herbert didn't have any amazing games really. I mean, other than the non-conference games against Nevada and, and Montana, and they didn't need those games from him. So, absolutely agree. The biggest question really is not so much whether Oregon's D is going to be there. I think it's going to be there. And I think Shuck's going to at least be good. It's what happens in the, with the rest of the conference. You know what I mean? Like how, like Stanford was down. They look like they're going to be down again because half the team's transferring. Yeah, oh, my goodness right? gracious. You know, Cal gets their quarterback back, I believe. I don't think he was a senior. And that was a 17-7 game. Does Cal improve their offense enough to make that a game? Um, Washington, you know, what they do replacing Easton? I don't know. That was a close game. Washington State was a two-point game. Um, so there's three games right there where if the, if the other teams approve as well, those are potential. They're going to be close. USC is going to be a lot better. Now, does Oregon play USC next year? I forget. Um, he, well, let me pull it up real quick. I don't think they do. For some reason, I don't think they do. And then Arizona State, that, that freshman quarterback who lit up the Ducks, how, how much better are they going to be? So there's going to be situations where how how much do other teams improve to present more landmines for Oregon that then maybe not having Herbert raises its ugly head and Chuck isn't able to lift them in those types of games. It's always fascinating with college kids because you just don't know. When guys haven't played, you just don't know. And how the landscape shapes out is really going to dictate what the team ends up doing. But I'm with you. They definitely can win 9 or 10. Like I said, if they're winning 10 – you have a chance to win the conference and go to the Rose Bowl again. Okay, so next season, road games, they're at Arizona, they're at Cal, they're at Colorado, they're at Oregon State, they're at Washington State. Home games, they get Arizona State, they get Stanford, they get USC, and they get Washington at home. Um, okay. 
I, yeah, I, I think I think that one at Cal is going to be pretty. T- I, I think that could has the potential of being a really good game. I, I I don't have the stat right in front of me, but I think when Garbers was healthy this year, I think Cal was like six and one with him. Um, keep in mind, there was a time this year where Cal was ranked within the top twenty five, and and there was I think they were like five or six and zero. Oh. Um, and then injuries started piling up and, you know, it's, it's that, that's a team that just doesn't quite have like the talent depth that a, a team like Oregon does to be able to survive a, a, a major injury like that. So, um, right. I, I think, exactly. I think, I think Cal could definitely be a dark horse team next year and that could be a fun one out in Berkeley. And so, and let's say, okay, let's say Shuck is good, not great. Let's say the running game takes a little bit of a step back. It wasn't necessarily dominant as it was, but it takes a step back because you're losing four senior offensive linemen. If that was the best offensive line in the country, how could you not take a step back? Unless, of course, the new offensive line with Sewell is going to be the second best offensive line in the country <laughs> for 2019. They just weren't playing because they were all backups. Are we supposed to believe that? I don't know. I can't say that for sure. I guess you really never know till you see him play. So if the running game takes a step back and you need the passing game to leap forward, but you can't necessarily because Shuck isn't ready to do so, then you have sort of a double whammy that, that, that can happen there. That could cost you a couple of games. So it's going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to see how this all plays out. And then let me ask you this. Do you think – People have been bringing this up on Twitter. Do you think Oregon's going to look to bring in a transfer, QB? Or do you think they believe 100% in shut? I th- I think if they have the option to, I think they would definitely consider it. And I don't think that's anything against Shuck. But if, if like, like, I've seen the... Uh, uh, the Wake Forest kid's name be, been been thrown out there a little bit. And, um, you know, I've watched a ton of him this year. But um, I, I, just, I feel like if they... If they think that that guy's an upgrade and they can bring him in, I think they like the roster that they have. I mean, that's that's the that and the offensive line are the two biggest question marks. And I think they are pretty ha- happy with like the development they had of that second unit of the offensive line. Now, whether that translates to on field success is, is you know something they got to prove still. But you know, if if they were to bring in a guy that had a pretty low le- learning curve at quarterback and then be able to kind of like plug in and play like. You know, you you could potentially be looking at like a Vernon Adams type season where, yeah, you lost Marcus the year before, but you're able to bring in a one year guy who essentially took a similar roster to similar heights before injuries started piling up or before. Yeah, I, I thought that Vernon Adams team was a potential playoff team if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. So, um, but yeah, that that would be that would be an interesting one because they do have two younger freshmen. I mean, they have two freshmen coming in. Uh, and then Shuck and then Kale Millen. So, I mean, that would that would definitely create some drama. But if they, if they think that guy is a, an upgrade, you know, th- we've seen that this Mario Cristobal staff, whether it be through personnel or through coaches, like they're not afraid to ruffle some feathers if they think it's going to make them better. Um, so, you know, I, I think they would definitely consider it if they think think it's an improvement. Yeah, it's I find it to be a fascinating situation because – there's there's several different factors there. So one, if if there's a legitimate starting caliber could push you over the top quarterback who's looking to transfer, he's looking to go somewhere where he's going to play. He's not looking to go somewhere where he has to mess around and competing with someone that the program is high on. Because then because he, then he's just wasting his time. Like why why am I going to transfer to school A when they have a young kid they love? And I end up being a backup. I'm gonna pick the place where I want to play. I have one year left. If you're the school. And you choose to recruit a guy like that, you're basically telling your redshirt sophomore, we don't think you're ready, and we may not think you're ready ever. And so is that kid then gonna transfer? Is he gonna say, wait a minute, I've been the backup here for two years. I backed up Herbert, or I redshirted and I backed up Herbert. 
four-star recruit, top 15 QB in the nation coming out, and you're going over top of me to bring someone else in? You're telling me you don't believe in me. So why wouldn't that kid then transfer? And some people suggest, yeah, but it's about competition. Yeah, for Cristobal, you want 18 Tom Brady's and let them compete. But you can't, but it doesn't work that way. You have to be pretty you know, careful how you approach this because you don't want to alienate Shuck if you believe in him. Now, if you don't believe in him, like Oregon clearly did not believe in, in Lockie, that's why they got Vernon Adams. Now, some people said, well, yeah, but they had to compete. No. I remember reporting on that. I remember just going back and forth with people about that for months. There was never a competition. All Vernon Adams had to do was show up. And I was told by sources that, yes, we said competition publicly. And you tell Vernon, yeah, you got to compete. Wink, wink. It's Jeff Lockie. You'll beat him out in three minutes. And that's exactly what happened. So in that situation, they did not believe in Lockie. I think they like Shuck enough to where I don't think they're going to go over the top of him. If they do, I think Shuck might bounce. Yeah. Or at the very least, b- believe, well, shit, these guys don't believe in me. Why should I stick around here? Plus, they just signed two other four-star quarterbacks. So- uh, they beat me out too. Yeah, I was going to say that's. A, I, I in I don't like trying to get into people's minds and, and predict who would leave or, or what you know this school means to them or whatnot. But if they were to bring in a guy, I think Chuck is would definitely have a legit reason to transfer because you're losing another year. You have two guys like Oregon's pretty high on Jay Butterfield. Like they think he could be a really good player, and so like then all of right. a sudden like Butterfield would be a redshirt freshman and you're going to be a redshirt ju- like yeah, yeah I just I just think I think Chuck's good enough where he can certainly play somewhere next year or in in the very near future so if if they were to bring somebody in I I wouldn't blame him for 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 bouncing and you know anybody who brings up like the whole oh why don't you just want to compete like I should compete like yeah like that's an old school <laughs> mentality that was brought forth way before like the free agency period in college football began because like it was like it, it didn't used to be every team that was good had the chance of bringing in like any you know any free agent quarterback which is essentially what this has turned into with the grad transfer thing like it's because right. it's, it's it's a different era these these guys want to have an opportunity to play like go out and get it if if you can so Right. And the other thing is quarterback only one plays. You know, if you're not if you're not a starting receiver, you're gonna play. Right. If you're really good at receiver and you got beat out by three guys, you're number four, you're playing. If you're backup quarterback, no one's even gonna know you're on the team because you're never gonna play unless the starter gets hurt. And this is this is this this goes way back. And the first Ducks team I ever covered, uh, two thousand four, I can't remember this guy's name, and it's driving me nuts, but they had a hot shot quarterback from the state of Oregon from the state of Washington, who was supposed to be the heir apparent to replace um, Kellen Clemens when he was done. And he was a big shot QB, and Dennis Dixon came in, and in Dennis Dixon's first year, he beat him out. Now, I, I thought, I mean, I kind of saw what they were doing, but a lot of people felt like they should have redshirted Dixon. Had they redshirted Dixon, he would have been able to play in 2008, by the way, not just to be done in 2007. But it was Johnny DeRocher. That's what it was. But anyway, as soon as Dixon beat out Johnny DeRocher, before the season, this was during fall camp, DeRocher left. He was gone. And that, that was the first time I covered a team, and I saw it right there. Was, of course he left. He was just beaten out by a kid younger than him. Then you fast forward to guys like Bennett. 2012, when Marcus was named the starter, Bennett was trying to leave then, and Chip talked him out of it. Bennett was out of there. They talked him into staying. He stayed, and then he left. Jake Rodriguez eventually left. Mahalik left. Johnson left. Terry left. Those guys left. Or Terry Wilson. Those guys left because they knew they'd never beat out Herbert, who was younger than them. So this is like... 
it's gonna happen. That one of these four guys, they have three guys they have on scholarship right now. Four actually, because I have two coming in. Two are gonna be gone in three years, guaranteed. Now, if you bring in a transfer over the top, one might leave earlier than you would have hoped. Hey, football fans. The Athletic College Football <laughs> is live in New Orleans for the College Football Playoff National Championship. Join us Saturday, January 11th at the House of Blues, New Orleans for live episodes of The Audible with Bruce and Stu and The Andy Staples Show. Doors open at noon central and the show starts at 1. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football. Again, this is the second time I've done this ad. Aaron and I are not included as part of some of the brightest minds in college football, but it still should be <laughs> a plenty fine event. For tickets, go to theathletic.com slash House of Blues or click on the link in the show notes. And make sure you get your tickets in advance because we are expecting the show to sell out. Okay, Aaron, final segment here. Do you think this season ultimately helped or hurt Justin Herbert's draft stock? And then that's that's one I hate that phrase, you know, because you always hear like stuff like, oh, this guy's slipping or this guy's rising or like all that sort of stuff when they haven't done anything. Like you always see this like in in March after guys haven't played for like three months. It'll be like, oh, man, this guy's really falling. It's like, no, you, like people are just doing their homework finally. But um, right, exactly. <laughs> like like it's, it's not the, big, the greatest example was Barkley. Remember Barkley? Yeah. Everyone thought Barkley was going to be a first-round pick. You know who thought Barkley was going to be a first-round pick? All the draft Knicks. Yeah. The NFL scouts hadn't even got a hold of him yet. And then when they did, they was like, nah, he's not a first-round pick. And everyone was like, oh, he ruined himself by coming back. No, he didn't ruin himself by coming back. He still had the same arm, and it wasn't a first-round arm. Um, but to answer your question, I, I think Herbert's stock stayed flat. Yeah. I don't think he did anything to help it or hurt it. Um, he's, he is a physical QB specimen. I mean – He's the guy you drop in a lab. He's the guy you create on Madden, right? You, you create a six foot five, six foot. Was he six? Eh, he's pushing six six. He's like six five or six six. Was he? Was he listed? He's six at? six, and I, I, he's six, I, six? I think he's a legit six six. Like so, sometimes, yeah. like you kind of forget, and then like you're talking to him in person, you're like, oh man, this is a big, big dude. Yeah. So six six. He's two thirty now. He can make every throw. He's got heat on his passes. I do wonder sometimes about his touch. I think that's a legitimate question. Um, but he's athletic. He's got great feet. He slides in the pocket well. He obviously can run. Um, I, I think he's at least Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a horrible senior year. Went top five. Right. Right. But and you know scouts are going to look at what you have around you, what kind of offense you're running. And they're going to grade you on your ability. And then, of course, they're going to look at how well you perform in the clutch. And I think with Herbert, you can question some of that. Um, but you could do that with a lot of guys who ended up being great quarterbacks. Right. Some of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL were not great clutch college quarterbacks. They just weren't. Um, so I, I think, you know, it depends on who wants what and who comes out to us coming out. That's been announced today, I think. So that adds another QB in the top 10, maybe. I think he definitely goes first half of the first round to a TB to a team that needs a quarterback. I don't see how you would pass on him. There's not enough warts there to say, eh, we don't want this guy. Um, so I think he goes pretty high. I, I think there's a couple things that are, are definitely going to help him uh, moving forward. For one, um, and not that this is something that we didn't know he couldn't do in the past. We just haven't really seen him do it in this game. But we mentioned this last week, but just like him showcasing that running ability in the Rose, Rose Bowl game, that the NFL is definitely going, um, you know, I, I – it seems like this happens every like 10 years or so where it's like, Oh, it's the era of the mobile quarterbacks. And now, but you are seeing a lot more offenses that have, um, that are, that flourish with having a quarterback who can have the threat of being able to run. So I think that helps, especially with his build. 
I think the combine is going to be a time where you hear a lot of like Justin Herbert's rising because it's a lot of measurables. They're going to be measuring strength and speed, um, uh, smarts, all that sort of stuff. And, and like Herbert's going to test off the charts and all that sort of stuff is, I, I, I don't think any of that's ever been the concern. So I, I do think that's going to be, um, I think around the combine time is when you're really going to start to see a little bit of like, oh, here comes Justin Herbert. He's rising. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you on everything else. I mean, I, I, I do think that, uh, um, you know, he's, excuse me, um, you know, I, I thought he was okay in crunch time at times. He played well in, in the Rose Bowl, but I mean, he had those two picks against Arizona State. You can nitpick all you want. I, I do think once, you know, you get him in with some better coaching, um, yeah, I, I think he, if you're, if you're a coach and you just see everything that he's got, you go like, okay, I, I think I could mold that into something. And I think that's, what's going to ultimately help his stock the most. Cause he has, he has the things that are hard to get, which is the, the, you know, the, the arm, the legs, the strength and all that. And so, um, I, I think there's going to be some coaches that certainly think they can turn him into a prototypical quarterback. And when I hear people or see people on Twitter, we're talking about his draft stocks dropping, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, do you guys follow the draft? Like Christian Ponder was a pretty high pick to the Vikings. EJ Manuel was high pick to the Vikings. Like I said, Josh Allen wasn't, didn't have a great senior season, but he was a high pick. Like teams that need QBs are looking for talent and not looking for your, how, how much did you dominate in college? I mean, that's all depends on a lot of different things. There's no way Justin Herbert is not, a guaranteed first round pick. Like it's it's not even an issue. There's all, no way all, he slides out of the first round. All these coaches got egos too. So I guarantee you every single one of them is just like, I could turn that guy into a star. <laughs> you know, like like once well, yeah, he gets once, once, once he gets with me, is, once he gets with me, baby, we're we're we're, we're flying. So uh yeah. Yeah, they're, they're gonna put you in different situations, they're gonna do different things with you than you were doing in college. I mean, and you're looking for the guy can, can he read a defense? Is he smart and can he make the throw? You're not worried about whether or not he had a big game against Washington State in Week Ten. Like it's not really relevant. Um, but you look at like Cincinnati needs a quarterback. Obviously, um, Miami needs a quarterback. That's two. The Chargers, I think, need a quarterback. They got to think about moving on for Rivers, who's a free agent anyway. So that's three. Um, that, and then uh, New what's England, Jacksonville going to do? England are they really Patriots. rolling with Minshew? Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. Jacksonville. Are they really rolling with Minshew? So that's four in the top ten that seem to need quarterbacks. There's, there's talk that the Raiders might move on from uh, uh, Derek Carr, who's at, they're at 12. Um, Denver, they, I guess they like their second-round pick. I can't remember his name, right? Brock or whatever. Drew Locke. Maybe they don't look for a quarterback. Yeah, Drew Locke. There you go. Uh, the Miami has two <coughs> first-round picks, though. Um, Jacksonville has two. Wow. And then, like you said, New England. Does Tom Brady leave? Are they going to sign a vet, or they, could they draft somebody? So there's plenty of teams that need quarterbacks. Justin Herbert will go in the first round. I think he hasn't hurt himself at all. Right on. Hey, so everyone listening, uh, moving forward here in the offseason, we are still going to be recording at least once a week. Um, we probably won't be doing twice a week like we were during the season. But if if there is breaking news or, or we have the material for a second uh, podcast, we will definitely be doing that. Um, subscribe to the show here on The Athletic and, and follow along on, on the subscription page for, for latest releases or if you're already following on Apple or Spotify or any of those sort of podcast uh, feeds. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be back next week. Uh, Aaron, any last little parting shot before uh, we take off? Before where do you have to zip off to next? You got another football game to come. <clears throat> okay, so listen to this real quick. So all all the Seahawks media were all sitting there trying to figure out what we're going to do the next week. 
the feeling is it's going to be San Francisco because everyone thinks the Saints are going to beat the Vikings. <laughs> but then, but then, but then, me and Michael Sean are like, well, but if the Vikings win, then the Vikings go to Frisco and we would have to go to Green Bay, which would suck. But if Seahawks win and the Vikings upset the Niners, then the Seahawks would host the NFC Championship. We're trying to get to Miami. It's a Super Bowl in Miami. So we're trying to figure out how we get to Miami. And right now it looks like that our path to Miami and the Seahawks path goes through Green Bay. Now, the last time I was at Green Bay for a playoff game, was I think the 07 or 08 season when it snowed like hell and we almost got snowed in Green Bay and some of the beat writers who are still around still tell a story of me not wanting to walk in the snow and me crying like a little biatch. I did. I'm not going to lie. It was freezing. I was scared for my life. Greg Bell, kiss my ass. You can make fun of me all you want. But I checked the forecast and it showed no snow for the entire weekend. And then that, I looked at yesterday. And then this morning, Greg Bell sends me a screenshot that shows now they're saying it might snow on Sunday in Green Bay. So I'm petrified because I don't do snow very well. Uh, but I'm going to make it out there and see what happens. I may or may not return ever. So you might have to book a guest for the podcast if it snows too heavily in Green Bay. But anyway, that's where I'm headed. Well, that's about as good news as anybody <laughs> on this podcast can get. We might be auditioning new show hosts next week for It Never Rains. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We will, or I will be back next week for another another episode. <laughs>